Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Inside the QB factory, where our magical development dust make dreams come true. I am your host, Michael Kiss. This is all brought to you, of course, by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. And joining me, as always, to talk quarterbacks around the world is QB1 in our hearts, in our minds. He is Mark Schofield. Mark, episode seven of the QB episode factory. Hi. Seven. How you doing, brother? I Episode seven, man. It's a big day. It's a big day. Uh, I'm doing well, buddy. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I I am I'm blessed right now. Like there's not much to get excited about, but what we're going to be talking about today and we're, we'll get into it. I'm just I'm buzzing. I I woke up with it. Pep in my step. Everything you, looked beautiful. You were in the DMs quicker than <laughs> usual. I mean, usually especially in this current era, you're in the DMs a little bit late morning, early afternoon most days. But this was at like 9:30. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> Are you ready? Can we record I'm hyped, that? Man. Yeah, you're hype. Um, skipping a little bit on the historical reference today because we've got a lot to cover. Um, I, I do just want to give a quick little plug. I'm currently reading Vicksburg, Grant's campaign that broke the Confederacy by Donald L. Miller. And it's a really sort of fascinating book that gives insight into what Grant was doing tactically at the start of the Civil War. And he was kind of blundered into, into some victories early, which I think – might sort of give us an opportunity to quickly transition to what you're so excited to get to today, Mike. Yeah, we're going to talk about some QB wins and how some of them uh, don't matter because today we're going to be discussing third-year quarterbacks and their chances of breaking out. And we might as well do these in order before we had done the second-year breakout candidates. That was a few episodes ago before Cam, before the Mahomes episode and all that. So let's do this in the order they were uh, selected. And that order is Baker Mayfield first overall. Sam Darnold, third overall. Josh Allen, seventh overall. We can even talk some Josh Rosen, tenth overall. I don't think he's got a chance to break out. We might have to eat some L's on that. Yeah. And then Lamar Jackson, 32nd overall. And there's a bunch of backups that really don't matter. And honestly, Lamar Jackson is a wide receiver that doesn't have a chance of breaking out. So we'll probably skip him so we can get to uh, Josh Allen quicker because, boy, uh, (laughs) I can't believe I'm fortunate enough to get paid to talk about him. I am... Truly blessed. But uh, again, starting with Baker Mayfield, Cleveland Browns, promising rookie year that caused some real hype among Browns fans, which was only buoyed by the additions they made on offense last offseason. They were one of the teams that I know I was and I think you were, too, very excited to see. Yet Freddie Kitchens looking great running the offense at the end of 2018 
you add Todd Monken, who outclassed Dirk Cutter in Tampa Bay. And from moment one of the season, you knew there was trouble because of that 43-13 to drubbing that they took from the Tennessee Titans to open their season. There were issues with the coaching staff, with Kitchens reportedly putting game plans in the shredder and going rogue on game days, which is definitely not conducive to success. That, that doesn't fully excuse Baker from what was a poor season where his weaknesses were highlighted and he saw a drop in a ton of major statistical categories. Completion percentage was down four points, touchdown percentage down a point and a half, interception percentage up a point, yards per attempt down a half yard, adjusted net yards per attempt, that's one I like, down a yard and a half, sack percentage up by over two points, and the quarterback rating drops from 93.7 to 78.8. Mark, we were both hyped for Baker coming into the 2019 season, and boy, did it go south in magnificent fashion. Are we doubling down in 2020, or are we kind of cautiously waiting, or are we abandoning ship? What are we doing here? I'm going to double down schematically, and we can get to that in a moment, but I think, though, when you put up the blurb, the post at BGN for this podcast, you should probably have to title it, The Gang Takes Some L's, okay? <laughs> because you mentioned Josh Rosen. There was my QB1. Yeah. Now we're talking Baker. There's my QB2. <laughs> like, the gang's taking some L's today. This is this is not a show that, um, that, that we're going to put in the Schofield Hall of Fame. The thing that troubles me about Baker last year, and it's something that if you studied him at Oklahoma, you probably saw this coming. The insistence upon creating chaos when there's none to be found. Right. It's so troubling. There were so many occasions last year when he would just like bail from clean pockets because yep. he's more comfortable as a quarterback trying to create in chaos, trying to do the scramble drill stuff, trying to move around and make throws on the move. And you can almost understand why he might want to do that because let's talk about his numbers when kept clean in the pocket, okay? We're talking about touchdown to interception ratio of 16 to 15, which is horrific. 15 mm. picks when clean in the pocket. You're talking about an adjusted completion percentage of 72.7, which sounds good until you realize it is dead last among qualified quarterbacks defined as quarterbacks who had 50% of their team's dropbacks. Those are horrific numbers. When you're clean in the pocket, you should be able to slice defenses up. Yeah. But he can't. He struggled with that. So that's a massive red flag. And it might lead to why he wants to get out of the pocket because he's not comfortable there. The reason why I'm going to sort of double down and, you know, it's like Scrubs Giff, Elliot, continue to dig her own grave from season one. <laughs> Kevin Stefanski could save him. Kevin Stefanski could make him a functional quarterback as he did with Kirk Cousins, you know, that wide zone, outside zone, boot action stuff, getting Baker on the move, and a lot of heavy play action. Because the one area where Baker was actually good last year was using play action. He had the biggest difference in the league on his completion percentage when moving from traditional dropbacks to play action throws. Hmm. His completion percentage jumped 10.1%. When they used play action, his yards per attempt jumped 2.6 when moving from non, you know, play action to play action. That increase in completion percentage was the biggest in the league. Hmm. That jump in yards per attempt was third biggest in the league. And so when you're talking about getting him where he's comfortable, using more play action, Stefanski's offense, they added Austin Hooper, they drafted Harrison Bryant, 
Najoku looks like he wants out, but they're going to be a lot of 12 personnel with Bryant, with Austin Hooper, Odell, Landry, Chubb, Kareem Hunt. Like, there are still weapons. They might have figured out the offensive line with the moves they made there. I mean, they added Conklin. They drafted a left tackle. I'm going to double down on this, and I'm probably going to be sitting here this time next year if we've had a season regretting what I've said the past five minutes. But I'm going to double down. Well, you mentioned making him comfortable doing doing what's what's good for him. Like I remember in 2018, he was one of the quarterbacks where I charted his launch points and where he liked to scramble. And he had one of the stronger signals that I've seen doing this in terms of wanting to bail to his right. And that was that was very strong. I, for instance, uh, week 13 against Houston, I had him for 11 scrambles. And all but one were to his right. And when he bails, he wants to bail to his right. He's comfortable moving to his right and throwing that way. When you see that, do you think that's part of why he's comfortable with play action? If you get him moving to his right on the move without him having to like break the pocket, you're already kind of setting him up to where he wants to be, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, you know, we've talked so often on this show and you and I and others have tried to make the case that... Coaches need to play to their players' strengths. Mm-hmm. This is Baker's. Like, he wants to be on the move. He wants to be rolling out, particularly to his right. Although he does a good job moving out and rolling to his left and throwing when he's moving to his left as well. But if this is where he wants to be, like, do it. Yeah, It's like when I made the case last year that Mitchell Trubisky should be a wing T quarterback. Like, if that's what he's going to be, like, just play to that strength. Play it up. So, yeah, I mean, I, that's why I'm optimistic about Baker because I think that Stefanski is going to be that kind of coach that he needs to sort of tailor the game plan, tailor the route designs, the concepts, the script, all of it to what he wants to do. Now, you could conversely say, well, that might make make them easy to defend. Well, maybe. But the Vikings made the playoffs last year. Right. The Vikings offense was very good at times. And when you're talking about, you know, a lot of outside zone, wide zone stuff, you know, I know running backs don't matter, but like Chubb is one of the game's best running backs. Yeah. Hunt is a tremendous second back for them. And they did a lot of two back stuff with the two of those guys in the backfield, which stresses defense. Because if you if you have sort of a a twenty-two personnel package, but the two backs are Hunt and Chubb, like how yeah. do you defend that? Right. Do you go dime do you go base do you go nickel like it forces you into tough decisions so i think there's potential here for this offense but like you said we were both in to certain degrees on cleveland last summer we thought look this is gonna be great you know kitchens had them playing well you know now you add odell to the mix they were the offseason champs you printed the offseason championship banner and then it went south fast it's it's hard to bet on the Browns in it's any very instance. very hard. It's very hard. <laughs> yeah, even with the points that you make, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic. I still want to see Baker work within the, the structure of an offense and have those moments of chaos where he could create, which is a plus for him, but also stick to the script, you know, uh, more often than he has recently. So uh, I'm kind of with you there. Let's talk about an, another team that has just failed their quarterback. Mark, I was, I was pretty hesitant to buy Sam Darnold as a starting NFL quarterback coming into the draft. But you looked at what he did coming back from injury in his rookie season. We talked about it at the time. You saw the flashes as if the light bulb had started to flicker on. But 2019, despite being better statistically on the whole, it just seems like he never got to get on a roll. And and whether it was the kissing disease or the disease of Adam Gase and Dewell Loggins, there wasn't like a big stretch of play. And and maybe that's a lie because I I thought he played well for the three-game stretch from weeks 10 to 12. Uh, The Jets put up three games straight of 34 points. Uh, But even then, right after that, 
you only put up six points against the Bengals and just a really yeah. poor outing from uh, Darnold in that one. So this season was lacking for Darnold and I was cautiously optimistic about him at the time, but ultimately... And I talked about this with Sigmund Bloom on the on the timeline in the offseason when I said that I was optimistic about him. He, he asked me, he's like, how much do you expect that that glimmer of optimism to blossom under Adam Gase? And the only answer I have to that coming into 2020 as well is, well, you hope Gase doesn't ruin him this year and maybe 2021 is the year. But like as each year passes, that hope fades, that window closes. And just keeping it with the topic of the show, I have no reason to believe that Darnold is good enough to overcome what is a very bad situation, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a bad situation. It's tough because I could see a scenario where this year he has a potential breakout year, you know, because of what they've managed to put around him. I'll get to that in a second. You know, you mentioned that we 10, 11, 12 stretch where they scored 34 a game. Giants, Washington, Oakland. Right, right. Like, yeah. he, he wasn't exactly doing it against, you know, the Patriots and the Chiefs and some of the better defenses in the league, the Bills. Like, yep. Those were three pretty bad defenses from last year. I think I think all three were in the bottom five in defensive DVOA. Right. And, and so you'd sort of expect him to do things like that. But to struggle against the Bengals, mm. like, I mean, he had some up and down moments. Um, I, I think a lot of it, which is why I'm I won't even go as far as to say it's cautiously optimistic. I I would say more for Darnold this season. I could see a path where it works. Christopher Herndon, their tight end, mm. was out pretty much all of last year. Yeah, and I like if you him. go back yeah, and if you go back to his rookie to Darnold's rookie season, he and Herndon seem to have like a very great relationship on the field. Like when you needed a throw in the red zone, when you needed a third and seven completion, like he would be able to go to him. I think the loss of Herndon certainly impacted Darnold last year. And if you look at what they've sort of put together around him, you know, I, I think Jameson Crowder is sort of that prototypical slot receiver while not somebody you want to like build an offense around, certainly fills a role. Mm. I think the acquisition of Brashard Perryman, while he's not one of the game's best receivers, can fill a role. It's probably as their Z. And then you add Denzel Mims, who again, maybe wasn't the best all-around receiver in this past draft class, but could be that X-type guy. Yeah, There's your 11, you know, with Herndon and those three guys. Le'Veon Bell, say what you want about him, still an effective running back. If they've figured out the offensive line, yeah, that's the big they thing. might have something. But that you're right, Mike. That's the big thing because George Fant, really? Like, <laughs> like that was your big offseason move? Connor McGovern, we could bet on Makai Becton, but the guy does need some work. He's a massive human being. It looks to be a tremendous athlete. And dude, please don't pull the Escalade over and yell <laughs> at us when you hear this podcast. I have, I believe in Becton, but he's a rookie tackle when we're not getting rookie minicamps and OTAs. Yeah. Like, and then there's the Adam Gase factor. And it looks like from Darnold that he almost seemed better throwing downfield than anything else. Like, he seems willing. He's got that sort of gunslinger mentality, number one. Yeah. Now, the numbers weren't great. You know, an adjusted completion percentage of 33.3, you know, which was 22nd in the league, just edged out the Allen brothers of Josh and Kyle. <laughs> so it wasn't great, but it seems like he's got that potential to him, which Adam Gase is certainly not going to unleash in their offense because we know it wants, he wants it to be a horizontal attack. So can they figure out the offensive line? Will Herndon be healthy? Will Gase be Gase or not? 
Like they've got questions. I can see a path, but it's a narrow, it's like an inside straight situation. If you were looking at Darnold's game and just from like a technical standpoint, what's something you think he can clean up where he can help himself to maybe overcome those obstacles? He's had two years that were beset by injuries, right? Because he had the foot injury his rookie season. Last year, he obviously had the mono situation. And so I think he needs to be on the field the full 16 games because the main thing is that sort of process and speed. You know, that hmm. decision-making, the ability to read defenses. And I think the the time that he missed the two years had an impact on that. So I think that's one thing that he certainly needs to work on. Coming out of the draft, look, everybody thought the thing he would need to work on were his mechanics, right? The dip, the loop, and all of that stuff. He's cleaned that up, and it was an issue for him at, at, at SC. I think he's cleaned that up. I think he's gotten better. The ball's gotten out on time and in rhythm more. But it's the process and speed, which I think is a huge issue for him. So that's something to look for with Sam Darnold when we come into the 2020 season. Up next, we're going to get to some, uh, you know who he is. (laughs) The reason you got out of bed. (laughs) We'll be right back here on the QB Factory. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here on episode seven of the QB Factory, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, bringing it to you, of course, Michael Kist, here with Mark Schofield, QB1, in our hearts and our minds. So let, let's get to the third quarterback as we talk about these third-year breakout candidates. Uh, so, I mean, we might as well get right to it. I'm, I'm known as a bit of a Josh Allen hater. Let me address that. Uh, of the three quarterbacks that, that we've talked about here, Baker, Darnold, and now Allen, Allen has the most raw talent. The mm-hmm. highest ceiling, mm-hmm. the the best physical gifts. He's mm-hmm. a big dude. He can move. He's a threat mm-hmm. as a runner. He's got a howitzer for an arm. Not only that, he is utterly fearless, which sometimes mm-hmm. leads to good results, sometimes bad, but it is always fun. And I, and I once said this about Patrick Mahomes when he was coming out, and I think the same is true of Josh Allen. You better hope he's good because the NFL will be so much more fun to watch if he is good. So, like, if you think... I want him to fail just so I can dunk on Bill's Mafia all day on Twitter. You're probably partially right, but I don't take myself seriously enough to the point where I would say, hey, you know what would suck? Josh Allen running around like a madman slinging harpoons for 400 yards and four touchdowns. That sounds like a smashing good time to me, man. And part of me wishes that were the reality because the Bills would be unbelievably good if he were that guy. 
And, and taking the Bills as a whole is important because whereas the Jets and the Browns have categorically failed their quarterbacks, the Bills have done the opposite. I am a big-time Brandon Bean believer, the GM there. I see his vision for the long-term rebuild. From the moment he stepped on the scene, trading away guys like Sammy Watkins, Reggie Ragland, Marcel Darius, and so on, signing quality free agents at affordable deals, drafting really, really well. And Sean McDermott had a big hand in some of that as, as well. So give credit to him for guys like Trajavius White, one of the best corners in the league that might prove to be the best in 2020. Tremaine Edmonds, the linebacker who was on the verge of elite status and is super young. Ed Oliver, the rehauling of the safety position with like a quality veteran like Micah Hyde, identifying and developing Jordan Poyer, former Eagle, by the way. And then you get Stephon Diggs in this offseason to give your offense a true wide receiver one. I cannot say enough about the rebuild there. There is, there is a, an extremely talented roster in Buffalo that has been completely remade. It is damn impressive. Brandon Bean, to me, already is showing that he can be a top 10 GM. Sean McDermott, in my opinion, is a top 10 head coach. So what's the problem? Why is a team that talented from top down, from the front office to the coaches to the players, not a serious playoff contender last year when you have a second-ranked points-per-game defense? Why, with a cupcake schedule and a relatively healthy team, could the Bills only eke out a 10-6 and record and a one-and-done wildcard playoff appearance where they scored 19 points including overtime, against the worst defense in the playoffs in the Texans. It's not the offensive coordinator, folks, because Brian Dable, another darn fine coach on the staff, did a darn fine job with what he had to work with. So I'll ask again, what's the problem? It's the quarterback, stupid! I follow a good amount of Bill's beats and media personalities on Twitter, and I see what they go through on a weekly basis. And by the way, those media personalities talk much differently about Josh Allen in the DMs than they do on the timeline, probably because they're scared of their own. Each week at half, everybody in the fan base is trying to play the blame game. And sometimes in moments of rage-filled clarity, they get it right. But most of the time, it's pointing the finger everywhere except where it belongs. The offense isn't good because Josh Allen isn't good. Bills fans, even if you have hope for 2020 that it'll get better, accept that reality. Accept the reality that Josh Allen's quote-unquote improvement took him from worst to almost worst in almost every major statistical quarterback category. Accept the reality that when you respond to a, a clip that I put up and you say, oh, well, you could make a cherry-picked highlight video of every quarterback missing deep passes, that what you're missing is the fact that no starter in the league misses as many deep balls as Josh Allen. Until that changes, until Allen can connect deep at even a mediocre rate, this offense won't be good. Until then, you're making the same excuses for him that Bears fans made for Mitch Trubisky, Slumpy Mitch, that Jaguars fans made for Blake Bortles, that Bengals fans made for Andy Dalton. It's QB wins, right? Name one win that mattered in 2019. So Bills fans, accept the reality that you don't hate me because I'm not a Josh Allen defender. You hate me because I was 100% right and said the things out loud that you feared in the quiet and dark recesses of your mind that you wouldn't dare, just like those beat writers, admit publicly. It was true when I said it on October 7th, 2019. It was true on January 4th, 2020. The Bills were a paper tiger. Until Josh Allen can prove that he is just a decent quarterback, 
the Bills still are a paper tiger, and it's Josh Allen's fault. Mark, breakout candidate, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) I can tell why you were ready to go this morning. (laughs) I can tell. I don't really have anything to add. Like, there's nothing wrong. Like, there is absolutely not a single thing wrong with what you just said. Like, it's completely spot on correct. Absolutely. 100%. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. I think if you are a member of Bill's Mafia, you are clinging to the Stephon Diggs acquisition. Right. Yeah. And just below average deep ball execution. Right. That's because what you're if you could get that mm-hmm. with this defense and what may be a down year for the New England Patriots, although maybe not with Cam Newton, right. that could potentially win you this division. Because we're not saying that Josh Allen has to become the best deep ball passer in the game for this offense to click. He just has to be below average. Mm-hmm. Like dead last out of the, the league starters, adjusted completion percentage downfield. Dead last. And the thing that's so worrisome about that is that if you look at what Brian Dable has done to him, he's done a pretty good job of like turning them into a timing and rhythm thrower, like getting the ball out on time and rhythm yeah. and anticipation. That's never in a million years what anybody would have thought Josh Allen would be right. entering his third season. And that's what he has to be. That's what I mean. You're limited to the point where you have to make him that because otherwise yeah. you've got nothing. You're betting on digs. And Allen rediscovering what he was at Wyoming that made him the seventh overall selection, which was a guy that could throw the ball with velocity and downfield, right? Mm-hmm. The question becomes, though, in an effort to recapture that, does he regress in the other areas? Mm-hmm. If he does, like, what are you willing to live with as a, as, as a Bills offensive coordinator? Like, what Josh Allen are you willing to live with? And maybe the Josh Allen we saw last year will be enough to get them back to the playoffs and maybe win a playoff game, but I'm not sure. Yeah. And so you need some improvement, and I don't know if he's going to get there. But like you said, Josh Allen is fun. Josh Allen in scramble drills, throwing wheel routes to a double-covered fullback in a playoff game is fun. Yeah. And we want to see more Josh Allen. Like, I enjoy watching him play, but I think we need to be a little bit honest about where he is as a quarterback. Yeah. It could work, but I just don't know. Right. And out of all of these guys, like, played the full 16 slate game slate last year. Like, got enough experience under him at this point where we should have a pretty good idea of where he is. Where, where do you see him from a mental processing standpoint? Because I remember I, I recently went went back and watched the, the Eagles game and a couple other games from Allen, and I, and I felt like... Maybe I'd missed it during the season, but there were more missed reads that I remembered watching initially. Is he still having problems like grasping the the, the obvious open stuff because of post-snap processing or is it pre-snap processing? Like, where does he really struggle in that area? In the fact that his arm is a double-edged sort of a crutch, hmm. in that he is, to this day, still has the ability where he can use an extra half second to make reads because his arm will make up that time. It'll get there, but yeah. But the problem is when you rely on it to that effect, it becomes less of a benefit and more of a detriment, more mm. of a problem in your development. You know, that's why, you know, Dable's ability to make him a time and a rhythm passer has been impressive because, you know, if you watch him, you know, and this dates back to Wyoming through present day, like there are still times when he's like, 
trying to give it that extra second to make sure he's seeing what he thinks he's seeing, and then the, then the ball comes out, and it might still get there close to on time, but it's the mental development that isn't growing as a result of it. Like, you need to get the ball out faster. You need to read these things and decipher these coverages faster. And if you're continually taking your time doing it because you think the arm is going to bail you out, the arms aren't always going to be there. Look at some of the guys that have played too late in their careers. You know, when the arm talent starts to fade a little bit, like Brady and Breeze and others, Manning, the mind being sharp is what saves them. Yeah. You know? And so Allen's going to need that. And that's certainly something I'll be watching this year with him. Yeah, and you think, you know, timing and rhythm pass are, you would think, over 60% completion percentage, but he still wasn't able to even hit that last year. And part of that's because of the inaccuracies with the deep ball, but still, you just you, you want to see more accuracy on a, on a consistent basis from him as well. You want to see him take sacks at, at, a, at a lower level. And some of that's on the offensive line, but a lot of that's on him too. Sacks are quite often a quarterback stat. So uh, interesting w- with Allen. If he breaks out in year three, I'm going to get so much crap. But like, honestly, he's got, for me, so far to go. And to see a, a deep ball just you know completely revamped, I don't know how often we've ever seen that. And it's so weird because people have told me, oh, you're just trying to confirm your pre-draft bias. You wouldn't know that I was low on Josh Allen unless I told you myself. And what's interesting is, Two years before he came out, I was on the Josh Allen train. I was like, look at this young, exciting guy from Wyoming. I was staying up to watch his game specifically because he was so exciting. You could tell the tools were there, but he's never really evolved as a quarterback. And yes, last year he took some small steps. But outside of that, like, I, I mean, what can you really hang your hat on and say, this is what makes him a successful starter in the NFL? There's there's nothing there for me to grab onto. And, and I just I hate that line of criticism. That oh right. you just want to like you just want to be right. Nobody cares if I'm right. If yeah. I get a quarterback evaluation right, I don't get a bonus. I I don't get like a <laughs> bonus check from Roger Goodell. Like oh good job on the Josh Allen. Yeah. No, like we said in the last episode, nothing we say matters. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Our job title is not general manager. That's not no, why I get, it's yeah. not. <laughs> it's not why we get paid. So yeah. we're not getting paid to get it right. We try to get it right. Right. Yes, but. We're not getting paid if we get it right or not. And if Josh Allen goes out this year and wins an MVP and people dunk all over us on the timeline, well, okay, cool. great. Good for him. Like, yeah. that would be awesome to see. I don't I don't want to, like, force a narrative or, like, cherry pick clips or anything like that to prove a point. Right. I don't need to prove a point. You don't need to prove a point. I'm not Kean Fahey, like, like you said. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, like, Kean Fahey, who, by the way, had Mason Rudolph, who's in this class as the best quarterback prospect in the class, noted Carson Best quarterback prospect since Mariota. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. We got we got one more quarterback to hit. And, and again. The gang takes some L's. The gang takes this, some L's. That's yeah. this episode. We accept it when we get it wrong. Josh Rosen, the 10th oh overall God. pick for, for the Arizona Cardinals. Is it? Where is he? Is he still on? Miami. Like, he's a, Okay. So he's still in Miami. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good think to know. Of, think about this. Gets drafted by Arizona. Then they turn around and draft Kyler Murray. Gets yep. traded to Miami. They turn around and trap Tua. Like, yep. what's going to happen next? He's going to get traded to Washington. They're going to turn around and draft Trevor Lawrence. It's just, it's just a mess. And this was my QB one. This was my quarterback one in this class. And for myself and many others that had them, or at least the others that had Rosen QB one, a lot of what we put it on was he looks like the quintessential pro Madden Brady, smart guy, smart from the pocket pro-ready, 
reads concepts extremely well. Right. You know, he's not an uber athlete, but can move around well enough in the pocket. And Rosen is such a perfect example of the fact that we get 5% of the information at best <laughs> because everybody that had Rosen high had it on the basis of his mental acumen to play this position. And we find out this past summer that he didn't know how to identify the Mike linebacker. Right. Because he never had to do it. Mm -hmm. And so when people want to criticize those of us that do this about, oh, you got it wrong, whatever, remember, we're doing this with 5% of the information available. Those of us that thought Rosen knew what he was doing, we didn't know that he was never asked to identify the Mike linebacker. We didn't know he was never asked to do anything from a protection standpoint. We didn't know that he was, you know, so limited with what he was asked to do. Right. We didn't have that information available to us. The Arizona Cardinals did, and they drafted him when? Ninth. The teams have all this info, and they still get it wrong. And that was 10th overall that he went. 10th overall. <laughs> I mean, see, we still get stuff wrong. The gang takes the L's. We're going to be right about Josh Allen, and that's all right. that matters. I am dug in, and my mind will not change. Because <laughs> more than anything else, what we should do Plant that flag on that hill. Yep. Never move an inch. Die on it. Doesn't there. matter. Die on that hill. Your one quarterback take defines you as a person, as a yep. husband, as a man, as a father. And you don't wait. Like right. you see that first nice throw yep. from some college sophomore, you plant that flag. Right and then. you refuse to move right there. <laughs> I will say, first time I watched a Sean Watson live during a game i tweeted it out like a halloween night like his sophomore season or something like that deshaun watson no matter what yep so i will die on that hill sometimes you can see it right away with these quarterbacks sometimes you can see it right away but wait do know. i have any trey lance tweets to delete do you no i actually you know it's funny matt waldman and i did a trey lance show on the rsp like a film breakdown yeah and i had forgotten that you probably remember this because i said it in the dms like the Monday after the draft, I had to mute Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance on the timeline because the takes were already flying. I was driving me nuts. So I kept – I was bugging Matt. I'm like, did you tweet out the article yet? Did you tweet out the video yet? He's like, yeah, I've done it a bunch of times. It was because he had Trey Lance in there and I had that muted. Oh. I couldn't see it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing more annoying than 2021 quarterback takes when it's way yeah. too early for him. So. Nothing no, more annoying people, than what you're doing for a living, Mark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My job. Annoying. <laughs> Sam Howell takes a fly-in. So, Sam Howell. Real, oh, that's right. That, that's the, the North Carolina. The true freshman from North Carolina. The Brad Kelly's freshman. out there, like, planted the flag. Like, Actually, I'll, I'll put it this way. 2021 quarterback takes are fine. We're setting up the class and whatnot. The freshman quarterback takes, coming into sophomore, those are the most annoying ones. Because as often, it happens all the time with these quarterbacks, we hype up the next shiny new thing to such a point that we are then stuck on that hill and have a hard time coming down in light of new evidence as we get a larger sample in which to work and see some of their flaws exposed. But we're just – we're up on the hill we're, and, and we're there. And that's where people yep. get stuck. That's where people screw themselves in my opinion. Like I said with Josh Allen, I loved him and then I didn't love him. It's totally well, fine it, to change your and opinion. And here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. This is this is what I always try to tell the younger generation. Don't tweet the takes. <laughs> you got to hide the takes in a podcast or an article. Disagree. You know? Disagree. No. I want all the hate. I want to no, be degraded. You, you hide the takes because you – how about this? A little compromise. You hide the early takes. Yeah, the early okay? – okay, yeah. 
Because it's not it's not important being first. No. Like that people put such no, importance on nobody's, that. Nobody's nobody's first anymore. Right. I mean, yeah. come on. Like maybe like five years ago, like this this is a perfect way to describe it. The the Carson Wentz summer, mm. like the true G the true DGens, like myself and I remember that summer it was me, it was Charles McDonald, it was Derek Clausen who were talking about Wentz, like, yeah, there's something here with this kid. And I remember nobody talked about him until I think it was Daniel Jeremiah, like the day before his season opener saying, hey, this Carson Wentz guy, you know, it's the only game tomorrow, North Dakota State, Montana. You might want to tune in because this guy can throw a pretty good ball. That was like it all summer from like national media. Yeah. This summer, the draft ends and Mel Kuyper is like Trey Lance is legit. Like the <laughs> night the draft ends, there's no more being first. Right. Like being first is over. It's done. Okay. <laughs> So just try to be right with the 5% of the information you get. Accept that you're going to be wrong and drown your sorrows in an Arby's beef and cheddar. That's correct. Eat Arby's, baby. That's what Eat we're going to be doing for that's the rest. all that's left. Now, now, that, now that I'm you know, crashing from the dopamine high of, of talking about Josh Allen, I'm already starting to uh, hate life again. So that's going to do it for the QB yep. factory. Mark, any last words for the gentle listeners before we get out of here? I, th- I think that was a pretty good closer, though. Eat at Arby's. Cheese.